Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Morning. I will be reading scripture. Feel free to read along. It's a fun passage. This is the word of God from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Hear now what God is trying to say to us today. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, so as to live for the rest of your earthly life, no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dispensation, and they blaspheme. But they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed, even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh, as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers, and above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. Mm. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Shade. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him, ooh, microphone. Be all honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. I knew what I wanted to preach this week. And whenever a person goes into a week with a plan about what they're going to preach, God tends to interrupt and show up in ways that we don't expect. My friend wrote this article about an executive order 
and it changed the way this sermon was shaped. This Sunday is the 75th anniversary of one of the most horrific executive orders issued in United States history. On this day, in 1942, Democratic Senator President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which ordered a, quote, forced evacuation of all Americans of Japanese descent so that they would be rounded up and moved into internment camps. An internment camp is very similar to what we would call today a prison. There were large gates erected, little barracks formed, and men, women, and children of Japanese descent were all forced to live in these barracks. Their homes and their businesses were confiscated. And this executive order didn't just stay within the United States. Our government pressured the governments of Latin and South America to surrender over their Japanese citizens as well. And the United States government used these people as bartering chips. To get American citizens back, they shipped people who had not been living in Japan back to Japan so that we could get some Americans, taking literally other people's citizens and shipping them away. Most families were given 48 hours to prepare to be relocated to camps across the country. Entire families were displaced and relocated while their neighbors looked on and their Christian neighbors sat by and watched as these people of color were carted like animals and locked in cages for years. It is important to remember the times when we have failed to be an inclusive people. Our history that doesn't make us look good often gets excluded from history books. Some states have even gone so far as to erase the slave trade. But I think it is important to look back at where we have failed because if we don't look at our mistakes, we're just going to repeat them. January 27th, 2017, another executive order was issued. It was called Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States. Once again, people of color were rounded up and held against their will. Not all people who are Muslims were affected by this, just the ones from Middle Eastern countries. But this time, Christians didn't stand by. I remember some of our site pastors went out in the dead of night and joined protesters at O'Hare and yelled and screamed for hours until the people held captive were let go and were able to go be with their families. 
I remember Christians standing on the Senate floor and in the House of Representatives, quoting scripture and demanding that the government obey God's command to treat people who are different than us with dignity and respect because they looked back at the times when they had failed to be a just church. The context for our scripture is very similar to the context of today. The Christians living under Roman occupation lived under constant fear of executive orders being issued. At any moment, Caesar could decide that it was his executive privilege to persecute them. And he did. We have stories of our great uh, author of the New Testament, Paul, rounding up Christians and killing them because he had an executive order that gave him permission to take care of potentially dangerous people, or uh, let's see this language here, to protect his nation from foreign terrorist entry into the temples and synagogues of the day. And so the people first, that First Peter is addressed to know what it is like to live in fear that what makes them different could end up taking their lives, could end up holding them hostage. First Peter is addressed to Jews that had become Christians living under Roman occupation in a place that said that Christianity was outlawed. Peter wrote to them to give them hope, to inspire them, to remind them of who Jesus was to encourage them when their neighbors said, why aren't you acting the way you used to? To uplift them because they were watching their friends get killed. And it is in this message that he starts a paragraph with talking about sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that first part threw me off because we got to this really beautiful part about Jesus Christ's glory being revealed and all of this wonderful stuff about sin being covered by love. But it starts with a little bit of noise. It starts with talking about the way that they used to live. Remember, you used to be obsessed with drunkenness. You used to be obsessed with sex. You used to be living in a way that didn't glorify God. Not to say that drinking is bad or that sex is bad, for the Lord made it and said that it was good. <laughs> Look, y'all quiet like you ain't having sex. Hold up. Don't make me call y'all out. This is the recorded sermon. <laughs> but we know that there is a way of having sex that brings harm, don't we? And having sex in a way that doesn't honor our partners, having sex in a way that doesn't honor ourselves or our bodies. 
We know that sometimes drinking can be a way of not taking care of ourselves, not honoring ourselves, not honoring our bodies. And Peter is telling these people, stop. Once you used to live that way, but God gave you a different way. God showed up and walked alongside of you in the person known as Jesus Christ and showed you that there is a way to experience abundant life, not a I'm just barely getting by life, I can just holding on life, but rather a life of joy and hope and of constant security and knowing that you have been created by God for a purpose and for a reason and for a time like this. Peter is reminding them of the joy of their salvation. Do you remember the joy you felt when you first experienced the love of God? I told this to first service and I'm going to tell it to y'all. I don't ask rhetorical questions. There are answers to the questions I ask. Do you remember the joy you felt when you realized that God loved you? When you realized that you weren't left alone, that you aren't going to be cast aside forever, that you aren't going to be left in the valley of the shadow of death because the good shepherd is looking for you. Do you remember the joy you felt in the depth of your soul when someone told you that you had value and you had worth? First Peter was written so that the people living under oppression remembered that joy and so that they could be strengthened to go out and to still keep sharing the message in the face of abuse, in the face of oppression, in the face of executive orders that criminalize people of color, in the face of executive orders that criminalize their religion and the religions of others. Do you remember the joy? Because if you don't remember the joy, you're not going to be equipped for the battle. I think that 1 Peter started with sin. This chapter of 1 Peter started with sin to remind us of what we used to be. That darkness, that feeling that you are worthless, I think that that is sin. And sometimes that sin might be caused by uh, chemical imbalances and we need to go out and go to doctors and physicians and not just try and pray away depression because it is a medical condition. But I also think that sometimes that sin comes from the lies we hear outside. The empire loves to prey on our insecurities. If you just do this, if you just try that, then you'll be worthy. And it is revolutionary to stand up and to say, I have value and I have worth no matter what. I am a beloved creation of God no matter what. It takes boldness. Peter challenges us to stop, as my southern mama would say, living in that sin. No longer to live as we did, like Gentiles do, he said. Because sin separates us from God. 
It stops us from being who God has called us to be, and it separates us from our neighbors. It is really hard to love your neighbor as you love yourself when you don't love yourself. It is really hard to treat people as you want to be treated when you're not treating yourself right. Okay? <laughs> Inclusivity is a rejection of the sin inside of us that tells us that we are allowed to be separated from our neighbors. If we recall, when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? His response was, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a word. As you love yourself. Inclusivity doesn't mean neglecting ourselves, doesn't mean neglecting our ideas or our opinions or the way that we view the world, but rather it means deliberately creating a space, a space where community can experience God together. Our inclusivity, though, here at Urban Village Church, doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will feel included. For example, by deliberately including LGBTIQ people, homophobic people will not feel welcome here. That's just a fact, right? Look, y'all are getting these questions right. <laughs> by being anti-racist, people who want to hold on to racism and white supremacy will not feel welcome here. It's uncomfortable dealing with our own demons and struggling with what's going on inside. It's, it's difficult work. By celebrating women in leadership, we're going to make it really uncomfortable for people who don't think women should be able to preach. But by welcoming people on the margins to come into the center, we are centering the story of Jesus Christ, who wasn't born in the halls of power, but was broke. Born in a stable, laid in a manger, literally a feeding trough. I don't know how many of y'all have been to a barn before, but that's not where like kings go. Jesus was on the margins. He lived on the street, and he was lynched by the state, strung up and left to die. By centering marginalized voices, we are getting a fuller picture of what the gospel is. By being inclusive, we are getting a better grasp and vision and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. By looking back and remembering what we used to do, we are receiving a vision of ourselves that isn't necessarily flattering, but reminds us of our need to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. For once we did live in the sin of exclusion and of xenophobia, the fear of the other, but now we have received the grace of God, and that salvation compels us to seek out other voices, to go out into the street and to find the marginalized and the oppressed, and to open up our arms and welcome them in, because we aren't going to get a picture of Jesus if we aren't getting a picture of our neighbors.
And being inclusive isn't natural. No one is born inclusive, just as no one is born, quote unquote, woke, all right? As you all know, I am a crier. I cry a lot, all the time, and it's great. I believe everyone should cry all the time. It, um, it's refreshing. But when I was in elementary school, I would cry because I was bullied. And anyone who knows anything about bullying knows that people who are bullied can become bullies themselves. And I wasn't the tallest or the strongest, but I could use words. And there was a girl in elementary school who I terrorized. I was awful to her. And I remember one day in class, I was cracking a joke about her. She was ashy and, you know, she dug in her nose and I'm a mean boy. And so I made a joke about her and she sat in the back of the room and started weeping. And as a crier, I know the difference between a good cry and a bad cry. And this was a bad one. And she was weeping. And rather than yell at me, my teacher came up. And she looked me in the eye. And she said, when you cry like she's crying back there, how do you feel? Bad. <laughs> well, if you feel bad when you're crying like that, why would you ever want to make someone else feel that way? And that was the day that I began the process of putting myself in the shoes of other people. It wasn't natural for me to be inclusive. It took someone wiser it took someone who had lived a different life than me coming alongside of me and guiding me. Y'all, we don't have all of the gifts. I don't have every gift. Not all of us are the boldest. Not all of us are the most inclusive. And certainly not all of us are the most relevant. But, I'm going to walk very slowly so the microphone doesn't yell at me. But when someone who is bold brings their boldness to the table, and someone who is inclusive brings their inclusivity to the table, and when someone who is relevant brings their relevance to the table, and when people who are loving and gracious and patient and kind and gentle and filled with self-control bring those gifts to the table, the very presence of Jesus Christ shows up. Y'all, the reason why we get together 
on Sundays. The reason why we get together in life groups isn't just so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, thank God we aren't like those people. Because that's a temptation, right? It's easy to say, well, I didn't vote for him. I didn't do this. I'm nice to my Muslim neighbors. I'm not a racist. I have a black friend. Um, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to forget that we too are sinners saved by grace. That it's not by our works, but by God's grace that we have been saved. It's not by our own goodness that we have gotten here, but rather the love of others who have guided us by the power of the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. The reason why we get together on Sundays and throughout the week in our life groups is because none of us are complete alone. We need the gifts of our neighbors to challenge us and to push us forward. As if we depend solely on ourselves, if Jarrell depends solely on Jarrell, salvation will not come. We need each other. It is only together with all of our different gifts that Jesus Christ really shows up. The fullness of the body of Christ depends on the whole church being present, not just the parts of the church we like now. Ooh, it's quiet. Oh, Lord. Y'all acting like, ooh. <laughs> Look, the fullness of the church depends on every part of the body of Jesus Christ being included. That means the people we don't like. That means the Christians who voted for the people we don't like. That means the Christians who were counter-protesting us when we were at O'Hare. That means finding ways to love the people who do us wrong. Being inclusive means that we are opening ourselves to be hurt by letting other people in. Not only are we open to being challenged to move forward, but we are also open to being spat on. The way one minister said it is when you're building bridges, what that means is you will probably get stepped on as people are crossing over. Now, it doesn't mean to be a doormat, but it means that there is a potential for harm. Being a person of faith called to inclusivity is not easy contrary to the way some people frame it. It is hard work challenging our own prejudices. It is hard work learning new things, and the people in the world make it difficult. How many of you knew about Executive Order 9066? How many of you learned about it after you left school? Why is that? Were they not teaching it in school? That's a real question. See, I don't ask rhetorical ones, remember? <laughs> Did you learn this in school? I got a few yeses. I got a lot of noes. For some reason, people in positions of power decide to hide stories that don't make them look good. Alternative facts, I hear they're called. 
But you see, we have a fact that is an alternative, a fact that God's love is for all people. And because of that, our doors are open to all people. And that means that we're going to have to struggle and we're going to have to wrestle and we are going to have to check ourselves time and time again. And we're going to have people in our pews or our comfortable theater seats check us too. Sometimes we turn people away by accident or even on purpose and someone has to call us out. Sometimes our church makes massive mistakes. Sometimes I make massive mistakes. It takes everybody in this community to hold me, to hold the staff, to hold the volunteers accountable. It takes everybody to make the church work because we're all part of the body of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit didn't just fall on two people and say, I've ordained them, therefore the church exists. Rather, the Holy Spirit fell on all those gathered and God's head, tongues of fire rested on all heads present. There Therefore, it takes all people to do the work Jesus Christ has called them to do. Therefore, we must be inclusive. Y'all hear me? Y'all are quiet. <laughs> Once we lived in sin, and we allowed our fears to dictate our faith, but no more, as people of God, it is time to cast off fear. It is time to no longer fear others and fear our neighbors. It is time for boldness, to stand up. Our nation didn't allow President 45's Muslim ban to stand like we did allow Executive Order 9066 to stand. We must be prepared to risk ourselves so that other people get justice. And we must love our neighbors so much that we're willing to risk things for them, not because we're so righteous and so holy, but because everyone gathered here works together and challenges us and pushes us to stand for each other. Because left alone, we're not gonna accomplish much. But when the body of Christ comes together, y'all, good things can happen. Great things can happen. So I remember the Bible says that God demonstrated this type of love, this type of action, this type of resistance in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ told us that we would do greater things in his name. Are y'all ready to do some great things? Yes. Amen.